please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. This is towards the end of the Bible, and it's towards the end of the New Testament. And if you're using the blue Bibles, it's going to be on page 991. And I would ask that you keep your Bible open as we go through the sermon, because we did not come here to hear from me. We came here to hear from the Lord. So we need to be looking at His Word. And if you're willing now, and if you're able, please stand with me at the reading of God's Word. 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 11 are God's words through Paul to Timothy. And by His grace this morning, these are His words to us. So let's read them as such. 1 Timothy 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. The title of our sermon this morning is Sound Doctrine is Loving. Would you agree that we tend to separate these two? But we're going to see in our passage today that they, these two have an unbreakable link. Just take the analogy of a family going on a vacation. They want to go on this vacation. They want to get to the destination. But before they go, they have to travel a long distance. So they all load up into the car and they pull out the map. So this is before Google Maps or the Waze app. They have a paper map. Maybe an atlas. I don't know what that is, but evidently that's something. So now they're in the car, the husband's driving, and the wife is in the front seat giving the directions, and the kids are in the back just as happy and excited as can be. But we all know what happens next. In pride, the husband refuses to take directions from his wife because he, he knows where he's going, and pretty soon, wouldn't you know it, they're lost. They begin to take a look back at the map, but they have swerved too far, and they are off the page. Now they find themselves wondering, 
swerving from street to street aimlessly. Cue the bickering. Mother, mom, and dad, they're, they're at each other's throats. Tensions are high. The kids are in the back saying, are we there yet? The excitement and the love that was in the car at the beginning of the trip is now as lost as they are. Because the one driving the car didn't listen to sound directions, the whole family is now wondering and swerving, just like the teachers in our passage. The family's journey had an aim, the vacation rental, Disneyland, wherever they were going. And when the aim was lost, it affected not just their ability to reach the destination, but how the people in the car related to one another. They had sound directions. When those were laid aside, they lost their way and they lost their love. And that is our gospel truth today. If we swerve from sound doctrine, our love will be lost. So if we could package this into one sentence, it is this. If we swerve from sound doctrine, our love will be lost. In the first several verses of 1 Timothy, we see this church in this situation. They're not on a road trip, but they're swerving. But before we get to the church, we see in verse 1, a God. A God concerned about salvation. Verse 1, who is commanding Paul to write this? God, our Savior. When we think of Savior, we think of Jesus. But right out of the gate, in 1 Timothy, we are confronted the truth about our Father, that He is a God of salvation. And He is concerned for the salvation of His people. Paul shares in this concern, and he is telling the church in Ephesus, through Timothy, there is only one way to maintain their spiritual health and their love and their relationships. He is charging Timothy and the church to hold to good and sound doctrine. Though the Ephesian church is uh, not on a road trip, they still must maintain God's aim. This aim is given to us in God's word and it's essential to get us where we are going. And without fail, when the word of God is laid aside, much will be lost. That is our first point this morning coming from verses 3 through 7. We see that swerving leads to losing what God intends for his church. So we must not swerve from God's aim. And God's aim is love. Point number one from verses three through seven. Don't swerve from love. Our swerving in our passage starts early in verses three through four. God has this aim for his, for his love, for his people. And there are teachers in the church in Ephesus that are swerving from sound doctrine. They have laid aside the map. This doctrine for the church in Ephesus would have been the Old Testament linked with the good news about Jesus that had been shared to them from Paul. By swerving from these, not only are they teaching what is false, but there now is a devotion to that which is untrue. We see a natural progression here. When we cease to teach what Scripture says, what the Scriptures say, we must begin to teach something else. Something that is made up. When we stop giving authority to what God says is true, the only other path is to give authority to something or persons that have no authority. 
This is what Paul is referring to in verse 4 when he warns Timothy against teaching and devotion to myths and endless genealogies. This is not sound doctrine. This is different doctrine. Something that they have made up. Something that is fabricated. Certain persons in the church, maybe these certain preachers or these teachers of Sunday school or the community group leaders, whoever they are, these pockets are swerving and they're attributing authority and hope to something other than God. Now, when we see the word myth, I think the King James uses the word fables. We are tempted to think of childhood stories. You know, the boy who cried wolf. Or maybe my all-time favorite, something more realistic, the tortoise and the hare. You know, because that's realistic, right? You know, the, the turtle beating the rabbit. These the stories are not true, but they may promote good morals. They may be socially acceptable, and they may help the, the behavior of our children, but they are not God's aim of love. I'm sure that the Ephesians were not so blatant in their swerving from Scripture as to come up with some silly story or to start worshiping a different God. It was probably a small swerve. Jesus plus good behavior. Saying that Scripture maybe is 95% true, but uh, this socially acceptable norm is good enough to cover my life in this corner because the world says it's okay. But beloved, any time we call something truth that goes against God's word, any time we attribute authority to something other than God, we have jumped off the page. We are on shaky ground. This is happening everywhere today in our churches. Good behavior replaces good doctrine. Our efforts, our morals are exalted over God's word. Being culturally acceptable pushes God's truth to the extremity of our churches and places man-centered moral lessons at the center. Does this lead to better churches? The passage tells us it leads to speculation. Or a better, better way to put it, it leads to further questioning what is true. Less certainty. More dispute. Dispute that does not help the health of the church, but rather tears it apart as we try to decide what is true and how to use this truth. When teachers add to or ignore Scripture, the line of what is true disappears. That's not God's aim. That is not loving. It does not produce love in our church, and it does not make our church healthy. In verse 4, we see our teachers swerving yet to another detour from sound doctrine, and that is endless genealogies. This is most likely these leaders in the church pointing back to the Old Testament and using it in a way that is not consistent with God's purpose. Pointing to heritage, bloodlines, attaching hope to who someone is or what someone has done. Anytime we have fixed our righteousness, To anything apart from Christ, we have deviated. We have swerved from the truth. This can take many forms. And it does not just stop at looking at who is in our family tree. When we look inward at ourselves in any way, at our good work, at our church attendance, 
and our service of others. If we see the source of righteousness in ourselves and not in Christ, we have missed the aim of God's word. These teachers in Ephesus are off the map. They are taking the body with them. They have swerved from God's aim of love and their false teaching is destroying both the spiritual health and its, of the church and it's hindering their love. This is the opposite of God's aim. God's aim is given to us in verse 5. Look with me at verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. God doesn't want us to swerve. He wants us to love. This is the truth with which Paul and Timothy are charging these leaders in the church. Love the Lord. Love the church. And if we look closely, we will see that the love he is talking about cannot be produced by anything that is made up. And it cannot be produced by looking inward at ourselves. It does not come from false teaching that leads to shallow, temporary love. It can only come through God's word. Through sound doctrine that is patterned after the gospel. For it is only the gospel that can produce these qualities, these issuers of love, a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Paul's point to Timothy, the charge for these false teachers, is we must look to Jesus and away from anything else to attain this love and these qualities. How else do we acquire a pure heart? Your heart? My heart? Jeremiah 17 tells us that they are deceitful and desperately sick. Don't follow your heart. Don't look to your heart for this pure love. It is only through faith in Jesus, the only pure one. The only pure one can give us pure love. With hearts now purified by faith in Jesus, we can be right in our relationship with God. But we can also be right in our relationship with others. From purity of heart, we can serve his body and we can steward his responsibilities. We must also look to the gospel for a good conscience. Our consciences, I know my conscience is naturally inward and ashamed. It leads me to self-medicate, to try to hide sin from light. But thanks be to God. Our Lord Jesus Christ has purified our consciences from dead works. To do what? To serve the living God. Sound doctrine points to the gospel. And it expels self. So that we can look upward to God and outward to his people unashamed. As it was with the first two qualities of love, so it is with sincere faith. We must look again to the gospel. Because all of their teaching is opposite of sincere. What is the furthest, furthest thing from sincerity? Selfishness. And that is where all other teaching points. Us keeping the law. You following the rules. Or maybe it's us adding to or taking away from Scripture because we don't like what it requires of us. 
that teaching does not produce sincere faith. The gospel points away from you and what you like and me and what I like and towards God who did it all for his people. The God who became flesh and accomplished everything, freeing his children to believe and rely not on self, but on him. With him, we can be near to God. We can love others. Our relationship with God and our brothers and sisters is now full of sincerity because we are depending of a genu- on a genuine and sincere Savior. These issuers of love, these love qualities, pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, are an outcome of being transformed by Jesus. But they do not stop with us. The text says, love issues from these. To what is love issuing? And what is God's purpose for this love? It's Paul's charge in First Timothy. It must be important, so we must get it right. The charge of love that issues from purity, good conscience, and sincere faith is meant to result in stewardship from God. In verse 1, we saw a God that's concerned about salvation, and he manifests this concern in an appeal to sound doctrine that results in love and health, the health of the church, our love and our covenant relationships with one another here in the church, our purity and sincerity in our intentions to how we deal with one another. It's carrying out the responsibilities of God and to one another with good conscience. Beloved, we cannot do this apart from love. And we do not get love from anything other than sound doctrine that is patterned after the gospel. In verses 6 through 7, we're still on point one here, but don't worry, it's my longest point. So, In verses 6 through 7, we see the emphasis of the point. If we leave sound doctrine that's patterned after the gospel of Jesus, we can be teaching from God's word and still swerve and still end up lost. Look at verses 6 through 7 with me again. These teachers, look at verse 7, are teaching what? They're teaching the law. They're using what we know as the Old Testament and their teaching is still swerving. How can this be? Verse 6 tells us, we see that these teachers, in verse 6, these certain persons have swerved from these. What are these? These refers to our qualities, our issuers of love. They swerve from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Or another way to put it, they have wandered away from sound doctrine that points to Jesus in his gospel. If we leave out the one who produces these love qualities then we leave out love altogether. So this leads me to make the statement. It's not enough just to be a Bible-believing church. We must have healthy doctrine that is shaped by Jesus. And this is the doctrine that we must see the Bible through. It's how we must read God's Word. Without the gospel at the center of all teaching, even teaching from the Bible can lead to emptiness and confusion. These teachers are making confident assertions. 
They think they know what they're saying, yet they have no understanding. There is no understanding apart from Christ. To close point number one, I want to pose the question. There is a debate among evangelical churches today of what kind of church is best. And I I would group churches into two categories. Loving churches and churches with sound, good doctrine. Maybe I should pose the question like this. What kind of church should we strive to be? And the answer must be, we must strive to be a church with good doctrine. That is loving. There is no real love without sound doctrine. And sound doctrine must produce love. If sound doctrine produces love, love for God, love for his people, what happens when we swerve from this? When we miss sound doctrine altogether and we miss the aim of love? We see in verses 8 through 11 that without love, we swerve from loving stewardship and loving relationships. So instead of our love issuers issuing love to one another, we end up having lawless relationships. That's point number two from verses 8 through 11. Don't relate lawlessly. So as we read in 6 through 7, these certain teachers are teaching from the law. But they're missing sound doctrine that leads to love. Paul now, in verse 8, is pointing us back to the law. His intention is that we would see the law lawfully. Or that we would use it how it was meant to be used. That we would see the law through the lens of the gospel. In verses 9 through 10, we're giving a list of contrary qualities. They're contrary to God's commands. Lawlessness. Disobedience. Unholiness, profane, striking parents, murder, sexual immoralities, enslavers, liars. These qualities are contrary to our love-issuing qualities. They're contrary to a pure heart, to a good conscience, to a sincere faith. But these are contrary qualities, and they are also contradicting God's law. The Ten Commandments is what... Paul is wanting us to see here because there's a direct correlation and a direct contradiction between the Ten Commandments we read earlier in the the service and, and what he is saying here. He's given us opposites. So he wants us to look back to the law. I know we read it already, but let's look at it again. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. I'm going to pass through this quickly. Verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1 of Exodus. And God, is our God speaking these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or idol worship. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal or bear false witness. You shall not covet. Can you hear how our verses in 1 Timothy contradict these commands? Our 1 Timothy verses are not a list in verses 9 through 10. They're they're not a list of loving qualities. But rather they're a list of loveless and lawless actions. 
These contrary qualities lead to lawless relationships. God's commands that he gives us in Exodus are relational. The first four of the Ten Commandments instruct Israel on how they are are to relate to God. And the last six show us how Israel, or we, are to relate with one another. It is healthy for us to set aside the Sabbath. It is loving for us to only honor God as the only one and true God. It is loving to honor the ones who bore you and raised you. It's certainly healthy not to murder. It's loving not to take another man's wife or to steal or to lie or to break our promises. So these laws should result in healthy and loving relationships. But Israel has these. And as Ryan said earlier, Israel very quickly swerved. The certain teachers in First Timothy, they're using these, but their teaching is still leading to contrary lawless relationships. Without the gospel informing our doctrine, it only gives sin an opportunity to seize the law to lead to more sin. When our doctrine is not patterned after the gospel, we get empty, shallow, loveless relationships. Empty love from teachers, empty love from fellow church members will lead us to believe that these commands are optional. Or worse yet, they'll lead us to think that we can live like these verses in 9 through 10 and be contrary to God's commands. The lack of sound teaching leads to lawless actions, loveless relationships, both between us and God and us and one another. We need to find the gospel in this. And to find the gospel, we must take ourselves back to the scene, back to Mount Sinai. As Ryan described earlier, these commands were given to Israel on Mount Sinai. Moses is commanded to sanctify the mountain, to consecrate the priests, and to set limits for the people of Israel to stand at the foot of the mountain and to be held back. And God reveals himself in a, a thick cloud, in flashes of lightning, claps of thunder, and a loud trumpet blast. I want you to see two things from this. Number one, where God is. God comes to a holy, consecrated mountain. He's surrounded by imagery of judgment. The mountain is holy. There's lightning. There's thunder. Number two, where are the people? Israel is standing at a distance. They're at the foot of the mountain. They're separated from God, and their access is limited. After these commands are given, are the people of Israel closer to God? Chapter 20, verse 18, right after the last command is given, the people, it says that the people were afraid, trembling, standing far off. Now, this is some kind of way to relate. I thought the point here was love. Beloved, the law itself was never meant to to save God's people. Its purpose was not to bring us into right relationship with God or right relationships with one another. The point of the law was to tell us that God 
is holy and that you and I are not. It screams to us, you need a Savior. We have to turn to Jesus. The one who trusted in God fully, the one who completely fulfilled the law, the one who is love. The doctrine of the Old Testament is telling Israel, and it's telling us today that we need a Savior. Without him, this list in 1 Timothy 9 through 10, the unlawful, the disobedient, the ungodly, the immoral, the enslavers, the liars, that list, apart from Christ, describes you and it describes me. But thanks be to God, Christ Jesus came to save sinners. We need only to turn to him. And by turning to him, he will bring all the love we need. Understanding this not only reconciles us to God, but it should set our relationships with one another right. When we see our own sin and we are not dependent on our own righteousness, we can now better forgive those who sin against us. When we see sin for what it truly is, what the Bible says it is, in love, we will not let fellow believers remain in sin. If you are here today and you are a Christian, do you believe this? That sound doctrine, patterned after the gospel, leads to deep, selfless love. Not just for God, but for people. A love that leaves self behind and confronts brothers and sisters in sin. Not because we want to be right, but because we love them. Our concern for the salvation of others must outweigh our anxiety over their opinion of us. Our God is concerned about his people's salvation. He is concerned about their right relationship with him. Christian, he has given us love. It is love for him, love for his people. And it is this love that is meant to keep us. Because it's dangerous being lost. It leads to losing love. And if we end up losing love, we're going to be in an unhealthy church. We're going to be an unhealthy Christian. But you see, there is a more dreadful outcome than being lost or unhealthy. The family on their road trip at the beginning... If they never find their way back to the map, they will never reach their destination. Beloved, we are not on some fictitious vacation. Our destination is salvation. A salvation that brings us into right relationship with God so we can enjoy Him forever. Paul is clear, further in 1 Timothy, that if we swerve from sound doctrine... It leads to worse things than losing love. If we swerve from sound doctrine that's patterned after the gospel, we'll end up dead. But verse 11, our last verse, closes us with hope. What is sound doctrine? Verse 11 tells us, sound doctrine is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Look back to that, this God and his gospel. 
the God from verse 1 of 1 Timothy who is concerned about the salvation of his people. He's the same God from Exodus chapter 20 that plucks his people out of slavery in the land of Egypt. He's the same God then. He's the same God now. And he's saying the same thing. He's saying, I'm concerned about my people and their salvation. We must not swerve from sound doctrine or we're going to lose his love. Instead, we must abide in his truth and in his son. The one God sent to save. In Jesus, we will find love. It's a love that issues from sound doctrine in accordance with the glorious gospel of our blessed God. Let's pray. Oh God, we praise you as the God of salvation. You are a God who is concerned about the salvation of your people, so much so that you sent your Son to die, that we may live. Lord, you not only make us alive, but you bring us near, back into right relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to cling to this sound truth, this healthy word, and make us, O oh Lord, see it through the lens of Jesus and his gospel. It is the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.